man. Leclerc's hit the wall at 16. Man. Oh, this would have been the lap. Yeah, one and a half up on the exit of eight. Yeah. It could be a chassis change, Max. So, uh, yeah, and you got uh, Lewis down in P7. Yeah, don't worry, mate. Uh, yeah, for, uh, this is off. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Rear the Grid. As always, I am your host, Matt, joined by the editor extraordinaire, Jashan. Thanks, man. I appreciate that, bro. And um, Ferrari's long-lost son and uh, payroll receiver, it's Spencer Hudson. Do I have the drink? Do I have the drink? No, you don't have the drink. Come on! Ring-a-ding-ding. Um, and on this week's show... Um, when we talk about some stuff, it kind of very it very much reflects the Monaco Grand Prix. It's, it's a mild podcast for a mild Monaco. Nothing, nothing over the top really happens. But uh, nevertheless, we we delve into a little bit of um, Lewis Hamilton team radio. Uh, we we pay respect to where it's due to Red Bull finally nailing a strategy, and Antonio Giovinazzi likes bumblebees. Yeah, he does. All that and more on this another episode. Of rear the grid. So here we are, Rear the Grid, back for another week. This time it is the Monaco Grand Prix review. Pretty good Monaco Grand Prix by our Monaco standards. Not that Jashan has anything to go off, having literally never seen one. Um, congratulations, Jashan. They're probably all going to be downhill from here. <laughs> um, before we leap right into it and all the uh, exciting results and not all that exciting action to uh, come from the weekend, we'll start as we always do when we can. Jashan, what are our Hamilton facts for this week? Yes. Well, um, hello to you too, Matthew. It's good. it's a nice day. The sun is shining. I'm feeling good. Atlanta got the dub this morning. How can you, you possibly know that the it? sun is shining? Literally, every blind in our house is closed, and we I have lights on. The, I can see the, uh, the 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 light shining through the um. Your the eyesight's not there. that good. Stop lying. My eyesight is 2020. 20. You can tell that the sun is shining because you're in a shitty mood, Hume, and you're a merchant of doom. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm gonna I'm in a surprisingly reasonable mood for the fact that I'm recording this podcast. Speaking of doom, Lewis Hamilton had a pretty dastardly weekend in Monaco. Only the second time since the beginning of the 2020 season that Lewis has finished outside the top six. And the only the uh, eighth time since the start of 2019 that he hasn't gotten a podium. Eight times in three years or two and a half years. This is the reason why I think that Verstappen doesn't stand a chance in the championship fight. How can you beat that level of consistency? You just can't. Facts. Yeah, it's a bit crazy. But he finished seventh this, uh, this Grand Prix. Very he nice. Did. It's good he to see. Did. That your solitary Hamilton fact? I had two of them, actually. Oh, let's hear number two. That, that was the second one. Oh, the podium thing. That's yeah, true. yeah, yeah. Sorry. podium gotcha. thing outside the top six. With you. Yeah. All right. Well, on to the race itself. I guess we'll start with qualifying. Um, 
little bit of drama, wasn't there, boys? Um, a few unusual suspects over top. We'd seen Ferrari, but they topped one or two practice sessions. They definitely topped at least one two. with both cars. And we were all a bit like, oh, but it's it's practice, you know? Yes. We're talking about practice, Alan Iverson. Thank you. Um, but then qualifying came around um, and, well, a couple of things notable. Giovinazzi um, squeaked his way into Q3. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you say squeaked, but his uh, his lap time in Q two was good enough for P eight overall. Oh, there you go. I I can't say. I don't. Did I? Oh, I did watch qualifying, but I think I watched qualifying coming home at like midnight or something, mm. and I think I was basically asleep for most of it. Fair enough. So I couldn't tell you a lot about it. But uh, yeah, Gio Gio was in there. Ricardo missed out on Q three. It was pretty big. Uh, Alonso missing out on Q two. Yeah. Um, and Mick Schumacher missing out on qualifying because he sent himself <laughs> to the Shadow Realm in practice three, I do believe. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting for Ricardo. So Nikita Mazepin didn't qualify last for once. I know. We're very, very, very impressive. Um, he's really, really moving up in the world. It's actually Ricardo's worst genuine qualifying performance since 2012. That's, you'll love to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then Q3 rolled around and the opening laps saw Charles Leclerc fastest and obviously as they do everyone did their first flying lap came around went to pitch coming out off for lap two i think leclerc i don't know whether he was absolutely at the head of the queue but he must have been near enough to it that the majority of guys were behind him on their flying lap charles arrived at the swimming pool chicane and we'll we'll do that there's been a bit of controversy about it some say oh was it intentional or not i'm sure we'll have a discussion about this in a second definitely wasn't but he clipped the inside um, fencing on the right-hand part of the swimming pool chicane, and that, of course, basically meant the car went significantly straight through the chicane, which meant it hopped the inside sort of sausage curb, the left-hander part of swimming pool, and then just at that point, you're a passenger into the outside barrier, and that meant double yellow wave yellows. Everybody had to massively back up through there. It killed a lot of people's laps. Obviously, you got a lot of angry radio messages from Max, from, I think, Charles. Charles from, mm. Well, Charles from himself because he crashed. Carlos <laughs> um, and that. Yeah. But, yeah, so I'll, I'll start with you, Spencer. Um, you're, you're known as the conveyor of controversy on this show. Did Charles intentionally hit the barrier to secure pole position? No. No. No, yeah, no. because if he <clears throat> if he was going to do it intentionally, he would have. Yeah, he pulled a Rosberg. Yeah, like he wouldn't pulled have done the, it in in that way. Um, and the thing is, as well, is that like he, like he was just pushing because he knew that, like it, you know, as as the race weekend goes on, more rubber gets laid down on the track. The the delta gets fucking quicker. And he was nervous because he knew that that time wasn't going to be enough to secure him pole position. <coughs> and I think the, the the fact that he just ended up ahead of everybody was also like a few factors where Hamilton was on a flying lap before that. And he was, I think, three, three tenths off the pace heading into the last sector. So he backed off and he tried to rev up for one more. But... Yeah, he would have been getting info that would have been saying to him that, yeah, like, Verstappen is purple in Sector 1. Verstappen is, you know, heading towards a purple in Sector 2. And, yeah, he just... It's Monaco. Like, it was a yeah. a fucking miracle that there wasn't a safety car throughout the whole race, but we'll get to that when we, we'll get to that one when we do the race. But, no, it's... Yeah. You, like, in a place like Monaco, like, if you're ever going to do something intentionally you're going to go off into one of the runoff areas and you're going to try to cause, you know, a yellow flag. Like, you don't want to 
red yeah. flag yourself out of the session because no, not at all. and that's not the place to do it either. Like any way you go, like if you go inside on the You just knows it in the hairpin. So the left hander, yeah, you've got a fucking you get an airborne. It was just unfortunate and yeah, like Ferrari just Yeah, like at at best he was gonna be starting in in six if he had to do a um a gearbox change. So yeah, it, it just it makes absolutely no sense to me that anybody would be saying that it was like that there was any sort of controversy behind it. Like when Verstappen comes out and obviously Verstappen's yeah, been that, maturing that was, in front of our point. eyes, but he was like point. yeah. That was like, what I was it, gonna say. It's, we're all like, pushing and well, yeah. in Monaco, like it's in some races in some tracks if you if you're off slightly in one turn, like you might run a little bit wide or you know, you might go into the grass or the kitty litter and you can recover. But in Monaco, like it's gotta be in the race, 78 laps of pure concentration for the entire race. And then in quality, like you're like, you, you're trying to get like and the pressure of quality in Monaco is way too, way too high as well. So no, like unfortunately for Charles, he, yeah, he just, he just cocked it. And I think it would have been tough as well to be the first guy coming through on the last laps as well, because I know that a lot of drivers have stated that they like to, they like to know what they're chasing yeah. rather than trying to pull a lap out. Um, and, <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it would have mattered even if he didn't crash it because it looked like Verstappen would have taken pole anyway because I think Horner was saying that he was he was three-tenths yes. up on his time just after exiting Sector 1, and I think he was about 0.24 seconds behind Leclerc's time before... 0.23. Point two three, so yeah. he was he was nipping right at the heels. But um, overall, I just think it was it was really fun to actually have Ferrari looking like a a competitor. And you know, kudos to where it where it needs to go. If I can just shout and say last week that he thinks that um, you know the the tracks that have been historically Mercedes dominant that we had to start the season, we might see a little bit of a change up. And yep. did like, and for the first time in a long time, Bottas looked like the the alpha like he he was struggling in in qualifying um as was hamilton but he was still able to get that car yeah. third on the grid um and i guess what um second oh no but they didn't really push him up did he so yeah he started the race at third but um and he was just unlucky not to be able to to get verstappen in that first turn as well because verstappen just yeah just did enough to um yeah to mercedes can not have bottas as the alpha <clears throat> Can they? So they had to think of something to ruin the boys' race. Yeah, but yeah, no. Um, I think yeah. I I I'm with. I'd say I I'm kind of figured that'd be the answer. Spencer's give. I'm glad he did this. Yeah, nothing to do with Charles. Like the the whole thing with Monaco is you're never more than like 20 mils or like one blink away from your race being over and being in the fence. Like you know, if you look at like you've seen if I've seen some other pictures from the weekend and that you look at like you know Max's Max's lap time. He's like three mils from that barrier. It doesn't take much to get that little bit wrong. And that's it's the way it's a thing. I don't think there's enough appreciation for in motorsport. All it takes is the slight like to you to an untrained eye, you'd be like, oh, that was pretty innocuous contact. But with how on the, you know, on the limit, on the knife's edge, like high performance motorcars are and that. Like you make that slightest brush of the inside wall 
and that's enough to completely change the angle, straighten out the steering lock or whatever you're in, and then you yeah, you're just gonna completely miss the next corner. Oh, and also as well, that's the, the turn where they have that awesome slow-mo shot of the cars coming through, and like there was one from Ricardo. Yeah. And yeah, he's like I don't even think you could fit a piece of paper between his oh, his wheels and the barrier. So yeah, it's one of those turns and it's a you've really gotta yeah, hit it at the right point because you don't wanna go over those bumps on the the left side. And if you get no, a poor, well, then you're just a passenger. Yeah, if you get a poor exit out of there, you can get somebody um, who's either out of DRS range into it or get them right on your tail as you. Well, I mean, if you if you have a bad enough exit there, Raskas is one of the few overtaking spots. You know, as we on saw the, in on F2. the track, we saw in F two a couple of good moves into Raskas. Yeah, but yeah, no, it was very much nothing doing for Charles. But yeah, the, the grid Charles ahead of Max, Valtteri, Carlos, Lando, Pierre, Lewis, Sebastian, Sergio, and Giovinazzi um, made for a very, very intriguing top 10. We then obviously, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday morning, we had Ferrari adamantly say to us, no issue with the, beer, um, the gearbox. Charles will be able to take his spot at the head of the field. And we're all like, oh, that's good. That's nice. You know what? Like, he put in a great lap. He deserves it. This is exciting. A Ferrari on pole, something different. And then uh, Jashan, to pull, head back the fourth a little bit, Jashan was off on a night out. And Spencer and I were both at our respective houses watching this. So we watched it live and were messing between each other. Jashan watched the race a day later. But I jumped in the, the group chat with about half an hour to go. I think I was catching up on the F2 races that I'd missed at this point and that, and about half an hour to go, I jumped on Facebook and the first thing I see is Leclerc will not, I'll say no, I turn on the coverage. I, I turn on the coverage because I'm like, oh, just check what's happening, it's half an hour. And they're just focused on Leclerc. His car is in the garage to that and he's missed, I, you watch the um countdown, I think, tick through to... They actually showed the countdown, like, the, the last 10 seconds of when a car has to be on the grid. Oh and then they God. played the FAA Ferrari message where they're like, yeah, you know, um, Michael or whatever the, the FAA race director is and that, you know, yeah, Charles, just confirming Charles will not, you know, be taking his spot on the grid. Because, yeah, so I, they thought that. I think I've seen how the footage and Charles gets on the radio when he's obviously on his siding lap out to the grid and there's some kind of issue with the... The car, and I think they said, you know, the the gearbox that was fixed is that, and then they figured it out eventually. It was, uh, I think, it was a drive shaft drive issue. Shaft so situation. technically, wasn't even related to the gearbox, but was obviously related to the crash. And it was something that was going to be way too much to fix in the half an hour they had until race start. So mm. Charles went from on pole and on a on a very big pole to mm. not even start in the race. This continues his record. He has never finished a race at Monaco going, mm. I, I think, I'm assuming his whole career, but going back to 2017, he failed to finish in both races in F2. He didn't finish in 2018 in F1. He didn't finish in 2019. They didn't race at Monaco last year, and he did not start this year. So, he was ready for the pole, but got um, shafted instead. Charles Leclerc getting the homegrown WWE booking booking there just if, you, if you're in your hometown you're gonna lose Charles Leclerc hasn't can't even has never even seen the checkered flag in his city of birth which is yeah. not what you want um but that brings us on to the race um I'll probably I'll give you a quick recap and then maybe throw for Spencer what he wants to talk about first but uh pretty pretty pedestrian in the end Max, I was Max and Valtteri both, Valtteri both got a good getaway, but Max is able to hold it through turn one. 
We saw some very, very minor positional changes on the opening lap. And then uh, I think, Spencer, did we did we decide when we were when you and I were talking about it amongst ourselves that outside of those that first lap and the couple of little changes off the grid, we saw um, half an overtake for the yes. entire race? <clears throat> yes, on track. Which was uh, Vettel on Gasly out of the pit lane. And if you actually watch that, if you watch that full piece of, well, as much of that full piece of footage as you can, Vettel comes out of the pit lane and his nose is already in front of Gasly. So technically there was never even an overtake there. Um, so it was... Truly captivating stuff in that sense. But um, the most logical point I reckon to start is probably going to be a combination of those no overtakes and everything happened in pit lane. But um, I'll get you... I know Verstappen, so Verstappen shockingly um, won the race. But I'll start with you, Spencer. Sort of what was your... I'll let you. I'll let you just pick pick something that happened in the race to start us talking about and what your thoughts well, are. Well, I mean, it was... I think the the first thing that like the race wasn't ever truly exciting in terms of a you know a, a, a spectacle for for motorsport, but it was like the first round of um well, not the first round, but when all the 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 start um the front runners started pitting, it was very interesting to see that Mercedes were the ones that seemed to blink first, and they got Hamilton off his set of softs the earliest. Um, because then after that, we obviously had all the radio chat with Hamilton, Hamilton saying that he was instructed to save his tires. And then in his words, like, why are you telling me to save the tires? If you're just going to make me go in early anyway. And from there, it was like, like if Hamilton won the race, this would have been my most hated fucking race on the calendar. But the (laughs) fact that it was a different result and Red Bull were able to beat Mercedes in the strategy game. Um, I think was probably the biggest talking point for me, and it yeah. showed that um, obviously Mercedes have done really well for the start of the season, but a lot of their moves have been pretty bold um, and ambitious, and this one seemed to me that it was a little bit more desperate than anything else. And I guess the biggest talking point overall is that Hamilton had to start, what was it, seventh, seventh on, on the grid, grid to be seventh with. in the race. <clears throat> like, I think he even said at one point on the radio that he acknowledged his race was over and that he was happy to have Bottas, um, you know, to try to help him get, like, get the win and what he could do, which for Hamilton never. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he pit, he pitted for hards at lap thirty. They went for the undercut on on Gasly specifically. Clearly, they didn't watch the F two race from the previous day. I don't think Toto watches a lot of F two himself. Well, that's just because Mercedes over Junior. He should be. I mean, it's literally there. All you got to do is look out the fucking window. We've had the binocs. But like, yeah, because we we'd seen it. Obviously, Jashan and I. If you're a little cross promotion, if you want to hear a bit more about the F two from this weekend, um, check out Jashan and I's other show F two for you. But um, the undercut was a strategy that did not work in the slightest in the F two feature race with the pit stops. Overcutting was absolutely the way to go. So yeah, Mercedes were the first one to buy it, and it's just like tires were taking a while to get up to temperature. So you're just not going to gain mm-hmm. those bundles of time that you need if you stay. All you need to do, yeah, you stay up for one extra lap on the quicker rubber and then, then you pit before they've had a chance to get the tire. Like obviously if Gasly had run 15 laps longer than Hamilton possibly and Hamilton hadn't caught any traffic, Hamilton's probably going to get back by. But if Ham- Gasly probably only worked, what, one or two laps more than Hamilton or something and, you know, at that point Hamilton tires wouldn't have been up. Um, and then the other thing I just want to say is just because Spencer obviously pointed out, you know, if Hamilton had won this race, it would probably go down as one of our most hated ever and he's absolutely <laughs> right. But it, this is that point I made – was it last week when I was sort of made the comparison to IndyCar and that? Like, 
you can stomach a race that's fairly processional and how it plays out on track if there's a little bit of interesting strategy, which we was. We saw some mm-hmm. pit like that. And if the result you get at the end is at least something to keep you intrigued. Like you're not watching because you're like all side by side battling, but you, I, you kept watching to the end. Like I stayed up and watched this entire race. I haven't done that. I don't even know if I made, yeah, go on. I didn't watch Bahrain because Bahrain started so late. I haven't stayed up to see a race through since possibly Great Britain when we watched it together before we lived together. Mm. I think that's the last time I've watched a race in its entirety life because I tried to with Bahrain uh, last year, but obviously after the Grosjean stuff, that drew it out for an extra hour and I made the decision to go to sleep. But yeah, because you watch, you'll watch it through the end because you obviously it's not absolutely enthralling on track, but it's the outcome is intriguing. Watching Verstappen over Sainz, over Norris and Perez and just staying tuned in to, you know, just in case, that's the thing. You stay tuned in just in case something happens to Verstappen with two laps to go. You want to be there to see Carlos Sainz when he's first ever race. Yeah. That is, that's so much, that's much, much more of an interesting proposition than if we'd had Lewis get in front halfway through after the pit cycle. And at that point, you just, even though there could be, even if Lewis was in front of Carlos and there's a bit of, what if Lewis crashes and Carlos wins, it's a lot harder to mentally process that and feel like that's even a realistic outcome when you rattle off Lewis's record of having only missed eight podiums in the last three years mm. compared to someone like Max. So you're always like, you never know, Max might fuck it. And then I'm seeing Carlos win a race. If Lewis is first, you're just like, well, Lewis is first, he's going to win, let's go to bed. And Mon- Monaco's a weird one. There's like this odd conundrum with it where it's obviously the, you know, the 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 platinum event on the calendar and it brings in a lot of you know outside interest you know of note you know Serena Williams did a terrible job of waving the checkered <laughs> flag at the end and obviously COVID did limit a lot of it but normally like you know you see the the who's who of celebrities at Monaco but the the race and in particular this race is was the most entertaining I think for yeah the points you brought up Matt but also it's it, it goes more to just like You've actually got to understand and appreciate how, like you know, how difficult it is to a race in Formula One and to race these cars. But then also, like yeah, like I found it so interesting. Like I love doing maths in my head, going like, okay, Perez was just like 0.8 seconds faster than Norris on this lap. If he stays at this pace, he's going to be within striking distance in about 10 laps, and then he's going to have a good three to four laps before the car starts to react to the dirty air and overheats a little bit to try to get a move done. That sort of shit to me is fun and it's interesting. Yeah. It's like it's another layer that like a normal but a casual racing fan wouldn't really appreciate because they just go straight over like, oh, well, why can't he get around here? Yeah. And it's like, well, the, the cars are wide enough now where like you can't, you can barely physically get three cars you, wide you talk in point. most parts of the track. I don't know either of you, I think, don't, don't think Jashan's got his phone anywhere near you, but there's an image I saw. Oh, no, it's just there. There's an image I saw and I've just put into our group chat for this of comparing... Um, this year's Mercedes, I think, with a side-by-side of, I'm guessing, probably the McLaren oh, yeah, when Lewis wow. is back in the McLaren. And if that is genuinely the size difference between the cars from a decade ago and now, like, yeah, it's like no wonder racing seems even more brutal and even more this is so just dull and processional at Monaco these days. Because the cars are a good, like, one and a half times the size they used to be. They're, like, significantly longer and just way wider as well. It's like, yeah. How some of the points at Monaco are, yeah, as you said, barely three cars wide, which means when you're racing, it's hard pressed to go two cars wide through a lot of those spots. So, like, when you can't stay side by side for more than two two corners if you're lucky without someone probably ending up in the fence. Yeah. yeah how and you, you can't stay behind a car for more than 
Like you even saw it with Perez, like Perez would be within the DRS range of Norris, and then two laps later he'd drop back to two and a half seconds. And I'm yeah. like, oh shit, Norris must have put out some fucking. The blind same with laps. Hamilton on Gasly as well. Yeah, they just they just sort of the cars yeah. can't. Yeah, they can't deal with the dirty air. They can't like they overheat too much. Like it's and you know a lot of a lot of the car changes have to do with safety, which you have to you know put to the put to the front. But yeah, the biggest issue at the moment is just that um, like. Max draws upon it all the time. Like it's just very difficult to overtake yeah. in these cars. Like you've either got a car that's way faster on pace and gets up very, like you know, catches up to them very quickly. And like you know, Hamilton at Barcelona, as soon as the move was ready to be taken, it was just a matter of time. Like Max could try it with all his might to keep him off of him, but sooner or later the move was going to happen. Yeah. But then with Monaco, it's a completely different, um, completely different, yeah, situation because now, like, yeah. Catching somebody is one thing, but at Monaco, you've got maybe... And the DRS wasn't even really working. Um, that but it never has. This weekend. Like the main, you, you come out of um, the final corner onto the pitch straight, which is where the DRS zone is, way too slow for it to ever be effective anyway. Like, you think about most tracks, and the DRS typically comes from at least like a if not like a genuinely sort of high speed corner, like a semi, like Australia is maybe not the fastest corner to come out of for um, that first DRS zone, but like it's still a relatively, you're, you're well and truly accelerating up in that. Whereas like Monaco, you get really, really slow and then you're not even naturally on the throttle anyway, because it kinks back a little bit to that left and you've got that really close barrier on the left hand side. And then you're finally on the throttle for one of the shortest straights on the calendar. Like, realistically, like, because you see, honestly, I reckon you see more overtakes at Monaco out of the tunnel, which is, I think, probably the longest straight, and, yeah, much better for the slipstream than you do on that pitch straight, but you can't put DRS for the tunnel because it is a fairly sizable sweeper to the right for the tunnel, and you can imagine, could you imagine the scenes, just DRS on in the tunnel and just completely, you know, losing all like arrow basically and just spearing off into that barrier it would be you know awful mm-hmm. but yeah so there's just that's the thing there's just yeah there's no put there's no way to put drs and in these this last decade sort of era of formula one cars there are you know several other tracks on the calendar where you're really like well the spot to get by is that dr like we saw it at Imola, you know at least sometimes they were pretty dull overtakes, but like the really long straight at Imola, DRS gets you by. But Monaco doesn't even have that going for it. You've genuinely got it. Because I think it was, what was it, Spain they were saying the Delta was like you needed to be like 1.8 seconds faster than the car in front of you to be able to affect an easy overtake Jesus. in Spain or something. It, it wouldn't surprise me if it's like 10 seconds or something. Because I was thinking... 2.8. That's fucking bullshit. Even if you're like four seconds faster than the car in front of you, Unless you're making one and a half of those seconds in terms of how well you get out of the last corner, you're still not going to be able to get by. All the straights are so short. You're making up your time through the corner. That doesn't do you any good. It's, yeah. It's just... This was my first experience at Monaco, and I was excited leading into it, and I actually enjoyed it a lot. I think, I can't remember who, one of the commentators mentioned that the drivers did their job on Saturday, and today it's, uh, it's all about the pit wall. It's all about the strategy. I did really appreciate some of the strategic moves that we saw throughout, especially when it came to the pit stop window. And uh, going, going back to Mercedes there, they were just too narrow-minded. 
they just saw Gasly ahead of them, well, or Lewis did, and they were wanted to. They were so aggressive in trying to undercut undercut Pierre Gasly. Even if it did work, they would have gained one spot maximum because everyone else just would have covered them and kept their place. So they they didn't have the big picture in their mind, which is so strange for Mercedes when you think about it. They're, oh, they're yeah. typically so good at these decisions. Complete one eighty on execution of strategy yeah. this week. From the, and Mercedes, they've struggled getting saw. temperature into their tires all season. They didn't all forever. Well, yeah, sure. I've always had tires. And, well, Hamilton, had and basically, you saw Hamilton's outlap was slower than Gasly's in lap, and then that just allowed Gasly to keep his spot and keep his place. Yeah. And then later on, because Gasly just didn't have the pace of the other mid kind of mid tier cars there, it meant that Lewis lost spots to Vettel and Perez eventually. Yes. Yeah. Vettel. Vettel ever so slightly in Perez, but just oh miles. Yeah, I think because we saw. Obviously, and I assume you'll have all the radio quotes. And that, that was the other thing. That was the other thing. Halfway through this race, it got very entertaining because <laughs> every two laps, we had a new radio message from Lewis Hamilton as he saw another car coming to the pits in front of him. Yep. And he wasn't, because I've seen a few people like like really say he was having a, and I mean, at the time, I know me and Spencer said he was, he was having a, realistically, like he wasn't blowing a gasket or anything over the top. But then I also saw some people be like, oh, <laughs> He wasn't frustrated. Like he was just, I was like, okay, he wasn't <laughs> screaming on the radio, but he was very obviously frustrated. Like he's just a composed man. He's certainly like, raising his voice on the radio. You know, but yeah, <laughs> like it, it made for very entertaining just to see like, yeah. just oh, to yeah, see Hamilton any, facing adversity. Any driver that is happy about going into the pits when they've been instructed by their team to conserve tire life. And they, he was told in that first stint to save you, save your socks, don't burn them out. Like we're going to save them for later on in the race, and then to bring him in early, and to then have three different cars all end up in front of him mm-hmm. by the time the pit walls finished and stuff like that. You like if your driver is happy and he's okay with that, then like you don't want him driving for you. No. Like, and it's just like, like yeah, Hamilton, like. Yeah, Hamilton didn't react in any particular way than what you'd expect for a very competitive guy to react, particularly oh, yeah. as well when he knew that his main championship rival was, way off was fucking 40 seconds down the fucking track on him. One thing so, I will say, Hamilton's math, terrible. Because I believe when Gasly came out in front of him, he was like, oh, we lost a spot here or whatever, lads. It was a, no, Gasly was in front of you. And when he saw Vettel come out in front of him, I believe he said something along no, the lines no. of we've lost, how have we had two cars get in front of us or That's something? That's correct, yes. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 you had one car get in front of you. You were already behind Gasly, mate. You just didn't get in front of him. So what he said when... And he gained a spot anyway, because Bottas had been... Yes. When he came out behind Gasly, he said, uh, how am I still behind him, man? Come on. And then a couple of laps later, what what has just happened, guys? I've just lost two places. And then a lap later, I don't understand, guys. I saved the tires to go longer, and you made me pit before everyone. And then a little bit later... You've got Bono over the radio. Lewis, we're under threat of losing our position to Perez as well. Sorry about that. Bono just trying to be the nicest he possibly can. We've lost position to Perez? And at that point, I was just fucking cackling. That was the moment. That, that was really the moment. Because, like, obviously, Gasly happened, and you're a bit like, well, yeah, like, how, how is you still behind him? Because your tyres were cold, and he was driving faster than you. Yeah. Vettel happened, and you were like, huh. That was, <laughs> you love to see it. And then there's a point there where you sort of realise, and you sort of just mentally, because yeah. like, I'm assuming, Spencer, you say you love working out, but I also always, I like to really do the mass of sort like of... Like the Zach Galifianakis. Having a mass. rough idea of the sort of pit lane delta in that and sort of just sussing it out mm. and being like, oh, 
you know, where either A, if they're a pit stop ahead of someone, but like working out roughly where they're going to come out at. And there was that point in the race where you suddenly sort of looked and you're like, hang about. I think Sergio's like yeah. way past the pit lane delta here. And yeah. sure enough, he comes out and it wasn't even caught. I don't even think Vettel was in the camera shot when Perez came out. They were just like, I, can you imagine? Oh. What it must have been to be Sergio Perez as he's in that pit lane exit coming through the inside of Sandovot and his engineer just comes on the radio and goes, all right, so Sergio, so we're coming out P4. Yeah. And you've just got to be there like, oh, yeah, well, fuck bad. me. Um, considering he started... I will not- say, though, I think I think they should have held, held on a little longer with Perez. I reckon they should have pushed to see how many more laps he could have got out on the... Um, on the softs and yeah, then made maybe. the move to go to the mediums because he was still lapping like close to the guys on the um, like or well, way faster than the guys still on the softs but I think he was slightly faster still than the guys on the new hard tyres and I remember messaging you Matt as was happening and I was like oh like if Red Bull play their cards here right they could maybe look to get at least one if not both of them onto the mediums and then in the next two laps yeah literally he came in like oh, never mind yeah, you know, I was like, oh, well, there goes that idea. But, you know, for Red Bull, like, it's, you know, they, I think the biggest thing was just getting Sergio, you know, up to speed with the car. And, like, you know, what a what a big boost for his confidence it's going to be that, like, yep. in what they say is the hardest track for drivers to, to, to drive in, he has easily his best performance of the season for Red Bull. And then I would say as well, in terms of, like, Red Bull in the last few years, like, that's their best... Yeah, that that's their best weekend, God. Ages. Like even since before the the Rick um, Verstappen days, yeah. Like everything that they did worked perfectly. Because yeah. you got to think as well. Like now it's not a. It was always with Albon. A eh? oh well, he didn't qualify well, but like if he can like make a couple of spots, he could be able to finish up here. And then Perez had a a horrible run to start the season, and he did again. Like he qualified what eighth position yeah. at Monaco. Nice. You're thinking that you're screwed. Ninth, and then he ends up making five spots on the day, and Red Bull finish first and fourth, and take both the lead, leads in both the drivers and yeah. instructors world so championships. They, Obviously, a little bit of luck with what happened to Valtteri, but at the end of the day, you do have to make your own luck. And for anybody to say that, you know, if any team's had the worst luck the last two years, it's been Red Bull over fucking Mercedes. Yeah, so they lead the constructors now for the first time since 2013. So the first time in the turbo hybrid era. Yeah, first time they've had it since they won the 2013 constructors title. And And Max is leading for the first time in his career as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, which you say, it sounds kind of crazy, but then you think about it and you're like, yeah, I suppose, you know, we've seen, like, there's only been one year, I think, where we've seen that wasn't not someone just not Mercedes racing out in those first five, six races. And that was that year that Ferrari got off to a pretty barnstorming start and won a bundle of them with Seb and Kimi. Mm. Um, and I think would have led both championships. But yeah, like, that's the thing. Like Max, you know, Mac, we've, we've all had Max as the second best driver in the grid for close to five years now. That like... This is the first, yeah, this is easily the first time he's ever, and it's that point I've made on this show before on that Red Bull always, you know, the normal Red Bull formula is preseason, looks pretty good. You're like, oh, here we go. Red Bull's going to take it to Mercedes. Then the season comes around, Red Bull has a shit to first half of the year. It's almost the better car in the second half of the year, and we rinse the cycle. And I'm pretty sure I said on the preview episodes for this after we'd seen preseason that I wouldn't believe it till I'd saw it. Mm-hmm. And I just figured that Red Bull would do it all over again because they looked good in preseason. Despite and, predicting you know, Max Verstappen to win. Oh, no, I think, it, yeah. Did I? Yeah, no, I did have yeah, it. 
Yeah, yeah. But I still. But then I'm again, still, you imagine... also said last episode that you thought this season was boring and that it was all wrapped up already. I still think there's no way that Verstappen's beating Hamilton from what I've seen. Yeah, also. Hamilton's had his bad race. He had <laughs> yeah, seven. True, true, true. Max has these uh, and he doesn't finish. Yeah. That's the thing. Hamilton's bad race saw him lose 18 points or something on Verstappen and that. If Verstappen has his bad race next race, he's now. He'll be. Uh, 21 points behind Hamilton because yes. Hamilton will get 26 points for the weekend and Max will get none. That's so that's point. still my point. But yeah, this is this is the first time. Let's see. Max has won two races to Lewis's three in the first five rounds. Max has podiumed every race. <coughs> that's unheard of for him. Mm-hmm. So that's and that's why he's in front because that's the thing. Max is Max has what two wins, three second places. Lewis has two or three wins, a second place, and a seventh, and that. Equals out to Max being four points in front. Four points in front, yeah. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was awesome for Perez to get a lot some laps in free air to really gun it. He was lapping faster than Max for a fair portion. Oh, yeah. And it's worth noting that this is the uh, first time that Honda have helped lead a championship since when? Can you get it? Um, it'd Either be sometime in the mid-90s. I don't know exactly when they left the sport, but I'm going to guess maybe 94. Close, not no, quite. Five or? 93. Other direction. 92. Uh, 1991. 91, okay. Can you pick McLaren. the team? Would it not have been McLaren, McLaren Honda? McLaren with Ed and Senna. Yes. Okay, mate, we don't know when they left the sport. Don't ask ridiculous questions like who the team was. McLaren Honda is one of the most famous teams of all time. Okay. Sure, I don't know. <laughs> Watch yourself, buddy. Watch hey, I'm, yourself. I'm learning as I go. Um, and one hell. thing, obviously, the way this is, um, I think it's about time we address poor old Valtteri Bottas. But Perez is now only three, um, three points behind Bottas in the championship. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been looking for. That's it. We've always said, you know, we all, we all felt... Because, again, I thought that was possibly my thing. I still felt that, you know, maybe Max would be good enough to take it to Lewis. But... My concern has always been Red Bull as a whole and how Red Bull are that second car and that. But we're seeing Max is comfortably going toe-to-toe with Lewis and now we've got a spot where, you know, Sergio is neck and neck with Valtteri. It's mm-hmm. a what? One one point gap. Yeah, it's a one point in, in the constructors. The constructors, which is insane. One point, four points in the drivers. Um, but yeah, so poor old Valtteri Bottas, qualified third, Effectively started second thanks to Charles. Also, can we just say that sneaky tactic by Red Bull being like, oh, so you want us to all like reform the grid and we take P1 and the race projector was like, you know, I think he said no. So there's that. So we're that and the rest was like, no, no. So every, you st- you'll stay in as you are. We're leaving pole vacant. And I was like, I see what you're doing there trying to get that inside line for turn one. Yeah. But yeah, so Vodas effectively started second. Effectively, in many ways, you could almost say, Started very completely equal with because obviously um, Monaco is very staggered grid boxes, um, but you know you could almost say Bottas started equal with Verstappen because that inside line is just so much more grip and such a better run to have. But stayed P two, was running P two quite comfortably. Probably was going to run P two the whole race. Mm. Came in for his pit, and you feel like you see it initially. You're like, oh, here we go again. It's just that same old thing. And for some reason, when Bottas pits. One wheel gets stuck. It's always the right front as well, isn't it? I yeah. feel like the right front gets stuck for a couple of seconds. He loses vital track position and, you know, takes him out of the chance for the win or he finishes fifth or something. Only this time, it just didn't come off. Yeah. And, then it, and then it didn't come off. And then it didn't come off. Mm. And then we'd been sitting here for 20 seconds at this point and it still hadn't come off. And then we were still sitting there. And then we are still sitting there. And then Valtteri got out of the car. And you were like, ah... 
Well, damn. <laughs> and so it was, I, um, like, it wasn't even, I don't even think it was, like, a cross-threaded wheel or not or something. I did, like, the machine down the thread. Few, few, yeah, machine on the thread, but I think the nut had fused onto the axle or something. Uh, like, like, it was more, yeah, and that, well, that's why it, it had machined off the thread, because it had, like, fused to the axle or something like that. So it wasn't, just wasn't coming off that. Toto but said, yeah. um, Valtteri stopped a bit too early. This meant the mechanic had to use the wrench at an angle. The awkward angle damaged the wheel nut, and we couldn't get the tire off for two days. They couldn't get the tire off. I would just say, I, I'm, I mean, even if he's telling it exactly how it is, I just why the fuck has he said? Why hasn't he just said for whatever reason is that? Why has he made the point that Valtteri pulled up slightly too far forward? They hate him. That's the thing, and that's I've got. I have. A, I actually genuinely have an issue with you burying your driver there. Mm. There's just no need for that. You could so easily have just because these fucking things happen sometimes. Like they just shit fails. So you could have just said, yeah, for whatever reason, like it just why we wear that it machined off the thread, and then just once, once, and because if you've seen it, I'm sure you, I don't know whether you guys have seen the close up footage and stuff like that, but you can see the rattle gun come off, mm. and it's just like a smooth circle. It's like yeah, that's not coming off now. Yeah, fucking, you need a Jeremy Clarkson just hit that with a massive hammer for a bunch of <laughs> I'm assuming what they did, I assume they just sat down with the hammer for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Or just snapped off the entire suspension. But like, oh, I just, yeah. that actually genuinely frustrates me that he's almost effect, well, effectively, he's pinned the blame on Valtteri, which, and it's the thing, if Valtteri has stopped short, in many ways, that is his fault. But like, at the same time, Drivers miss their marks all the time, and it doesn't result in a completely short wheel nut. <laughs> this was just a freak occurrence. Why is he buried Valtteri here? Why, like, and I'd, maybe he would if it was Lewis as well, but you can't help but feel like if it was Lewis, it just would have been, yeah, shit went wrong. That's unfortunate, but it's Valtteri, and they've just they're buried by us. It's yeah. just frustrating to see. He was already struggling, though. On lap 25, I think he came out and said, yeah, it feels like I'm driving on wet tyres, struggling with his front left. Signs was catching him up, but, you know, it's, it's, it's Monaco, so in theory he could have just held that on, right, the rest of the race and held on to P2, which would have been huge for him and the team. But, no, alas, another rough weekend for Valtteri yeah. Bottas. Just before we do move on, I just want to know, Spencer, whether you have any... Any thoughts on that? I've seen plenty of fucking F1 drivers do plenty of worse fucking entries into the pit lane and they still get the fucking wheel off. Yeah, so. that's my thoughts. Like, I've seen, like, you know, nine, nine, more than nine times out of ten, probably like 999 times out of a thousand, you miss your marks, the wheel nut comes off just fine. I just don't think, because that hadn't even crossed, I know, obviously that, but it hadn't even crossed my mind that mm. it could have been in any way Valtteri's fault. And then Toto's been like, well, if Valtteri wasn't so fucking useless, he did it to himself. It's all Valtteri's fault. Yeah. The whole Mercedes camp, it just screams a lot of blaming each other. Because uh, after the race, Lewis Hamilton uh, came out with this beauty. We lost a lot of points today for a really, really poor performance from the team. Three places it cost us. We underperformed as a team all weekend from the get-go, so we'll just put our focus onto the next race. Have we gone from saying Mercedes is the most professional outfit in all of sports <laughs> to saying they have a toxic work culture inside yes. one week? Yes, yes, we have. you love to see yes, it. Yes, we have. Yeah, it's just yeah, a lot of blame game situation going on here. Like. Well, I think I read as well um, that there's a particular tool that teams have that they can use to 
get around that situation, but Mercedes just don't have one <laughs> because I <laughs> guess uh, like they've like <laughs> they're just, they're just so sure of themselves that they wrong. don't need it. That yeah, like That's things amazing. aren't gonna aren't gonna yeah. go wrong because I, like, I, I, like, yeah. yeah. I think I saw it on just say cost cutting. I think I saw it on on our Formula One, but yeah, apparently McLaren have had these issues before. And they've got a particular, like, that once it happens the first time, they just have a hammer ready to go. And then they use that to just <laughs> snap the wheel nut off. off. And then, um, but it's like, the way that it is, is like a certain way that it, like, sort of, like, pops it out. But then I think, yeah, like, you see in that slow-mo, after it doesn't go the first time, they then try to do it again. And you see all those, like, little shards of metal come flying out of the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that's when they said that it, like, double-threaded or cross-threaded or something. And then at that stage, it was just un- unsavable. <laughs> That's amazing. A victim of their own hubris. Fell on their own sword. Hoisted by their own petard. They've never had the fastest pit stop. Like, normally for Mercedes, if they get a three-second pit stop, you know, that's that's about their their peak. But then it's even like you go back to Bahrain last year and they put, you know, they put three new tyres on Valtteri's car and then one one dud one. Like, Like, is that... Is that Valtteri's fault there as well? Like, did Valtteri do something wrong that, like, made the team hmm. pick up three new tyres but, like, leave one old one on the same that then cost him to double stop? Like He did, Spencer. He existed. It was his fault. <laughs> he was drinking beer, you know, before the race. Traditions. Actually, and I think it's... Like, and this, like, this is showing, like, and it's... It's going to be interesting to see how this goes, like, moving forward because, like, the... Mercedes is still very, you know, like... Oh, like, it, you know, like, we're fine, like, you know, like, Hamilton singles, like, you know, there's 18, there's 17 more races. But, like, one comment that he made on the weekend that I would, like, found very interesting, they asked him if this was the, the hardest championship fight that he's been in and whether or not that brings along, like, pressure. And he's like, oh, like, they're, like, all of them are the same to me. Like, all of them are, are unique and different in their own <laughs> way. So this one's no different than the other. Like, we've got yeah. 17 or 18 more races to go and, like, you know, we're just going to try to keep getting better every week. But the thing is now is that like they're like they're a genuine threat to not maintain the constructors championship because mm-hmm. like now with Perez looking to sort his shit out, Red Bull are ahead and they know like and it's not even the fact that like they know like they know that they can't rely on Valtteri. Valtteri knows that they know that they can't trust him. <laughs> and then now that's putting so much more pressure on Hamilton. And like what happens again if like as the season gets on in some of these tracks that aren't Mercedes dominant, mm-hmm. then Hamilton isn't getting on the front row of the grid. And now they've got a car that's never been good at overtaking and never been good in traffic. And like say what you want about it being Monaco and everything else and like how difficult it is to overtake. I would bet a hundred times out of a hundred for Lewis Hamilton to overtake an Alpha Tower. The mm-hmm. top yep. team in F1, and nothing against Alpha Tauri, but they are not—they are not a top three team at the Can't moment. Confirm. Like they're not even the top of the rest. And the fact that Hamilton had such a difficult time, like you said, Sean, they had to try to use an undercut to get past the Alpha Tauri, yeah. but then ended up having more pace anyway <laughs> to keep the spot. Like that's th- th- those are like, and I think this is like this is almost classic Mercedes, where whenever something goes wrong, there always seems to be a sequence of events that allow them to sort of cover it up. And, like, I think the biggest conspiracy is that I wonder if they just tanked Bottas' weekend to take the heat off of fucking Lewis. <laughs> because Valtteri looked way faster, way stronger throughout the whole weekend. And, 
Yeah, like the fact that they cocked it up so bad with Hamilton. And nobody's really talking about that. It's just coming down to like, oh, this was a bad weekend for the whole team. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Like for the first time in like, what, five years, Hamilton genuinely looks Fallible. weak and like... And then he's, yeah, and he's even said as well, like, oh, you know, like with Baku, like Red Bull have had great top speed all year. We know this is going to be an issue for us. Mm. Like, you, you, you've also got to watch out for that, 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 that's, that's Scuderia. That's Scuderia team and Red is looking yeah. pretty good. And like, um, unless you haven't noticed so far, but Lando's yeah. got two problems. Yeah. That Alpha Tower is pretty fast in a straight line. So maybe yeah. Hamilton won't be able to get past him again. Yeah. Well, you mentioned... Red Bull speed. Max's average speed of 157.83 kilometers per hour over Monaco was the fastest in Monaco GP history, mate. But just my brain is very much in um, IndyCar mode at the moment because if uh, just to jump that, it's Indy 500 this weekend. One of the other bit that, and so I'm just looking at like average speed of like 367 kilometers per hour, and then I was like looking at like the Monaco pole time of 170. And I was like, yeah. Sick. I mean, I know that's fast, but like. <laughs> I mean, just switch brain modes again and not even F1 mode, switch it into specifically Monaco mode where you're like 157Ks per hour. Fuck me. But like, oh imagine that's how fast Spencer goes when he's on the way down to the shops. On his way to the kitchen for a beverage, you know. <laughs> well, considering he gets back inside one of our tangents. So Again, yeah. And then gets another one. Gets another one, yeah. That's actually honestly, that's honestly impressive. No, I'd, yeah, they should be worried about the McLarens and the uh, the Ferraris for sure. Ferrari have shown exponential improvement so far over the course of this season. Like, Carlos Sainz, awesome weekend. I'm willing to, to eat my words. I thought Sainz would crumble under the pressure. He hasn't. He's been awesome. He's now, I think, only two points behind Charles Leclerc. After... I'm, I'm very chuffed with how Carlos is going because I've said yeah. for a long time, I've had very high reps on Carlos. I felt that mm-hmm. he was just as deserving of getting thrust into that rebel seat as Max was and all of the above. And no, I said to you, I said that's the thing. And it's not taking away from Charles. I don't think this is anything to do with, you know, Charles not being as good as we thought he is. I think this is not. No, Carlos is someone, as I said, Carlos was someone who deserved belonged in the discussion of who is the fifth best driver outside of Hamver, Charles, and Daniel, mm. which now maybe it's the fourth best driver on the grid. <laughs> um, well, no, because Lando's now the fourth best driver. Well, on the that's grid. fair enough. If you want to make the case that Lando has solidified his spot there, yeah. But um, no, yeah, it's good, good, very good for Carlos. Very impressive. Going to be making. We'll get. I think because I know you want to mention this app, but it's a. Uh, Gee, the Ferrari pathway and opportunities in the Ferrari system looking scarce potentially <laughs> at the moment. But before we jump into a little bit of driver discussion, there's two a little bit of controversies I want to discuss from the weekend. One a little bit more humorous than the other. The first one is obviously we all experienced this myself and um, Spence Alive. Obviously, we mentioned how the only overtake we got in the race was the half an overtake of Gasly and Vettel going side by side as Vettel came out of the pits. Um, Spencer, would you like to tell me and now to cut to how that run up to the turn at the top of the hill? Would you like to tell me how that concluded? Oh wait, you sorry. We're just yeah, we've got to just cross to um, a replay of Lance Stroll uh, locking a brake, clipping the fence. I don't fucking know. Forgot him when he did. Went over the curb. Whenever the whenever the sausage curb. The sausage um, curb. We'll just go back to that. Forget about the fucking rest of it. Oh. Um, <laughs> hey, Lance was—he—he he was putting in a solid enough. Do rest. I have the drink? 
Kimmy actually didn't have the drink no, this race again. Do I have the drink? If he didn't either. Jesus. No, I'm I'm yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a little interesting thing to note because Monaco actually has its own different sort of like broadcast thing outside of the normal fun, fun crew. Monaco has its own like TV director and that because um, they think they're cool and special. Yeah, um, cool. And apparently, yeah, he's fucking useless because obviously we've got the first side-by-side -side action of the entire race. Let's cut to a replay that we could have shown at any point in time. <laughs> it's like fucking trying to watch an Italian cycling race. They've got no idea what they're doing. Um, oh. The other controversy that came from the weekend surrounded McLaren, specifically Orlando Norris and his actions toward Daniel <laughs> Ricciardo. Obviously, Ricciardo was lapped by Norris in this race, which isn't great for Daniel. When he was doing that, Ricard Norris gave him a little wave on the way through. And, and we've, seen, we've seen Norris wave for other drivers after the race. He's pulled alongside Carlson and stuff like that and things. And suddenly, fucking just... F1 social media took this and went wild. People accusing Lando of being disrespectful towards Daniel, mocking him and all of that. To the point that Norris came out and Norris came back pretty fucking hard. Basically just being like, no, this is, I literally just do this to everyone. Like if I'm coming up on someone who has blue flags and they get out of my way proper and just let me get by. Mm -hmm. Like if you've ever fucking, you know, if, you, if you're, and obviously you and I, Shashan, don't have a lot of experience just driving, but I know from watching <laughs> my parents driving that, if someone, you know, Pulls a little off, to, like if a caravan or someone pulls yep. it off to the side to let mum go past, you give them a little, you know, you give them a little just like two-fingered acknowledgement of, yeah, cheers, mate. Mm -hmm. That's all he was doing. And everyone's just, because it was that saying, he said, oh, what? Netflix was look in their lips, Oh, mate. mate, you could hear that. But like, you see, like, as he said, you watch the footage. He did it for Mazepin. He did it for Schumacher. Yes. He did it for Ricardo. Yes. All it was being was, thanks, mate, for not being a complete cunt and just, you know, getting out of the way. And the fact that he's got blown into something... It's just, it's, no, it's the fucking time we live in, but everything has to be so much bigger than it actually is. Just insane. Absolute crap with the words Lendo used regarding the uh, media circus that's uh, oh, yeah. sprung just... up as a result of this little moment. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, he just does that for everyone, basically. Not a, not just, a, just a respectful yeah, human being. He's polite, you know, if someone, someone yeah. treats him nicely, he says thanks. Uh, me and Spence were talking about a lot of the media furor that is kind of around Daniel Ricciardo at the moment. They're just looking for anything, any any little thing. Because when they showed the Gulf Oil liveries, they, they showed Lando's car rather than Ricciardo's, and Fox Sports just had an absolute field day. <laughs> I was going to say, it's just Fox Sports Australia, just yeah. fucking... Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised they haven't brought Jared Hayne into that. And I'm, I'm <laughs> going to stay the same seat. I, I, I don't know whether we're allowed to mention that, but Spencer mentioned it on ripping, said his name on ripping in. So I'm going to make that point. I'm surprised Jared Hayne hasn't been mentioned in all of this by Fox Sports. I do love talking about him. Yeah. but Very reputable news organization, Fox Sports Australia. Yeah. Lando does now lead Daniel Ricciardo by 32 points and lapped him with 25 laps to go in Monaco. I mean, Lando, Lando is, once again, back to being happily in third place. Nine points clear of Valtteri Bottas. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got half the points, effectively, of Max and Lewis. But, you know, yeah. that's yeah. just modern F1. You're more than happy yeah. with that. He's ahead of Bottas, Perez, yeah. Leclerc, Carlos. Twice, over twice as many points as Daniel. You know, and he's we got... Said, I said, well, I said that 56 Spain, more points than George Russell. Jesus. Spain wasn't Ricardo having a big, you know, outbreak of a weekend. It was just Lando having a bad weekend. And now you've seen Ricardo have his first genuinely really bad weekend here for, for the McLaren. And it's, he's going in the wrong direction. You know, around this time is when he should, in theory, be getting used to the car. Andres Seidel or Seidel? I don't know. Seidel. 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 
Uh, he came out defending Daniel. He said he basically just said that the MCL 35M is very difficult to drive and requires a certain driving style, which is not natural for Daniel. Whereas obviously Lando's had more time in the car and knows what to do with it. But I mean, how many more races are we giving Daniel before we genuinely start criticizing his performances? Well, he's contracted until I believe twenty twenty four. Okay. So he's got at least another couple of years to work it out. Yeah, but I mean, you can you can cut drivers before their contract ends. You can, but you know. But I mean, for us, that's a lot. Of, it's our job to criticize drivers when they underperform. You, you say that, but how many drivers have you like? You know, <coughs> it doesn't actually happen all that often. Unless you're Ferrari, that doesn't happen all that often. Okay, but how many well, more races until we start criticizing oh. Ricardo? Not that I want to, but like it's getting to that stage. Oh. I mean, we'll wait and see for a bit. That's the thing. We've seen, you know. Yeah, he say that, but if that car, if we're you know to believe them that maybe that car is alert, like this is. You know, you could make a compelling case. This is the first weekend we've really, really seen the best of Perez in that Red Bull. Mm -hmm. Probably the first weekend we've genuinely seen the best of Carlos in that Ferrari. Mm -hmm. And the first weekend we've seen the best of Seb in that Aston Martin. Yeah, baby. So, you know, if in another, you know, six, five, six races time and Ricardo hasn't at least had one result where you'd be a bit, you know, vintage Ricardo, you'd be like, oh, that's the Daniel we know. Maybe you're really starting to get concerned at that point, but he's five. He's it's five races into the season, mm-hmm. and that and it's not like I think, and obviously it's a little bit amplified as well. Like if because of the position that McLaren has found themselves in and how well Lando is doing, but it's not like over. If you're aside from Spencer just being really, really um, patriotic, ironic considering he's not born in this country, but. Um, <laughs> It's not like we were expecting Ricardo to be up there fighting for the title. That would be a different thing. This was a car we thought would be possibly definite top of the midfield, but like upper midfield. And that, so I think, you know, he can be afforded more leeway. It wasn't like he was coming here with instant expectations of, you know, victories left, right, and center. Because at that point, then you'd be getting worried right now. But like, he is still, you know, eighth in the title. The gap he is, you know, with the way things go. If he gets two top fives in the next race, he'd probably be getting close to being right back onto Sainz and Leclerc's tails and all of that, and then you're fine. So, so, he and Yuki were the only two drivers to drop places on the it, lap. And, like, it, for Ricardo, like, it's, it's something where you've got to look at everything else going on, like, around him, and not, like, for his performance in particular, which has been poor, but, yeah, you made the good point with, with Lando. Like, Lando's driving exceptionally well. And like people aren't like people are more happy to ridicule somebody who's underperforming than to give applaud for somebody who's overperforming. Like Lando is flat out overperforming to start this year. But one of the reasons why he's overperforming to start this year is because Mercedes have not been as dominant as what they've once been in the last few years. And Ferrari, who have like they've they've been struggling the last two years and they're only now just starting to figure it out as well. And then also as well, it's the fact that like Red Bull now finally look like that they have their second driver. And for Ricardo, if Lando was finishing in sixth or seventh where that car should be, and all the other like the the three other top teams in front of them in Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes were finishing first or sixth every single week, we'd just be looking at it as like, oh, Ricardo's just struggling to get acclimatized to the new car. Like it's okay. Like look at how Alpine are doing this year. Like, Fernando Alonso 
in the car that Ricardo was in last year. Couldn't even get yeah. it out of Q1. Esteban Ocon has looked fucking average for the whole entire season. And last year, Ricardo was getting podiums with that Renault. So, like, and that was a car that he had for, that was his second year. So we just need to, like, I expected a lot more out of Daniel Ricciardo to start the season. And not even from, like, my tip for him being world champion, but just in general, I thought that he would assume the alpha dog in that team to start off. And that just hasn't happened. But you have to give him time because everywhere else he's been, he's performed at, or if not better, the level that they expected them to be. Like, when it was a Toro Rosso, he was fucking killing it. When he moved into Red Bull, he was constantly taking the fight to Vettel, ended up making Vettel move on to bring in Verstappen. He was genuinely racing with Verstappen the entire time there at Red Bull together. And then since he's left that Red Bull seat, everyone that stepped foot in that seat, their career's gone to shit. And then with Renault, he was making them look like he had them fighting for third place, yeah, like at fair. the end of last year. So I think everyone's just like, they're, they're, they're getting a little bit, like getting their knickers twisted a little bit too much. Like it's a long season. There's still plenty of like areas for him to improve. But that's the thing as well. Like they're he like they know what the areas are and they know what he's struggling with. So it's not like a, a Vettel situation last year where they were just like, Oh, like he's he's checked out. Like he wants to still perform well. He's just had mm. a really rough start to the season. And at a track like Monaco, like you're dealing with like point three of a second is separating up to eight or eight or ten positions. And, like, 0.3 of a second to the naked eye is not that much. So, like, he's not he's not that far behind the pace. And, like, he started the season off relatively well. He just needs to, yeah, just get his head around this McLaren car. And then, by like, and as the season yeah, progresses, those results will right fuck Like, his, uh, what was it, P5 to P4 start. McLaren's best start in Monaco since Hamilton's third place in 2012. <laughs> And Lando's podium was McLaren's first in Monaco since, can you guess? McLaren's first since 2012? Close. 2011. Yeah, 2011. With Big Jensen Button. Yeah. Button, button would definitely be my guess. The big Button Boy. That stupid, that stupid fucking meme that everyone's been posting up for the last week. Which stupid uh, meme? I love stupid memes. Oh, the fucking, the, the, the young hotshot Red Bull driver in Verstappen and Vettel. The Spaniard racing for Ferrari oh, right. and Carlos and Fernando and the Brit okay, driving for, for all McLaren. Of them, for, okay, it's out like, of all of those types of that format of meme, that one's the big, probably the biggest stretch I've seen. Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, it's there. Oh, God. Oh, dear. No, yeah, McLaren are absolutely jetting. I'm keen to see how they go on Baku. Oh, dear. I like the fact, that, the fact that they compare Fernando Alonso to Carlos Sainz. It's just disrespectful to Carlos Sainz. All right, mate. <laughs> Um, so we'll move on to, before we finish up for this week, I think we'll move on to a little bit more, I mean, I guess we've just ripped into, um, <laughs> nice. uh, Daniel cross promotion, Daniel Ricardo um, discussion, but there's two other drivers I know that you, um, think worth touching on. We'll start with the, <laughs> yeah, I'd touch Antonio Giovinazzi, not his hair, but definitely not his hair. Mate, what if his hair's where he gets all his powers from? He's Italian Jesus. <laughs> but um, I think we'll start with Yuki Tsunoda. We'll start with probably the um, the negative more so than the positive. Yeah. Um, and I believe the point you're wanting to make, Shoshana, is obviously that since uh, Bahrain, 
things haven't been, oh, he's been quite shit. as smooth sailing as we've been hoping for Yuki Sonoda. Yes. Not to be not to be hyperbolic, but it's been shit since week one. We all picked him as our rookie of the year, but right now it's 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 Mick in the fucking heart. I mean, you say that, but Yuki Sonoda has one championship point, and Mick has none. That yeah, but makes if you Yuki Sonoda rookie about, of the like, year. Context, like we all yes, if you talk about if you talk shit. about it contextually, I still believe George Russell was rookie of the year in his year with him. Yes. him, Alex, and, and totally I thought fine. he did the most. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. The horses were three laps back at the end of this race, but I still think Mick had a better race. To be perfectly honest, I don't think any of the rookies have been particularly great so far That's this fair. year. Like yeah, Mick, Mick, Mick passed on Mazepin and lap one. A little bit of Braille passing. Indeed, indeed. But like you, you can't like, they've all made just bags of mistakes. Uh, no, Yuki's probably made the least amount of mistakes. Very yeah. Yuki's had a couple of crashes and stuff. I think it's worse for Yuki because we've seen what he can do. Can do, and because, well, he's the one in a car that can be competitive. Yeah, and he just hasn't. And what, Gasly, I think, now has four straight points finishes, whereas Yuki's got four straight um, not points finishes. He got, okay, Yuki Tsunoda got lapped by both Williams in this race. That's unacceptable. It's not what you want, is it? No, it's not what you You want. want. Ah, this, see, I told you there was going to be a way I could talk about George Russell for half an hour in this podcast. He laughed Yuki Sonoda. Let me launch into it. That includes Latifi without hydration. That's a dehydrated Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> a. Oh, dear me. Um, I mean, I think it just shows just, you know, how big the step to Formula One is. Like, we're talking about a man who was F2 world champion. The man who was F2 runner-up and the man who was... Sorry, F2 third place? Maybe Sonoda? Second or third, they're both. So that, I can't remember whether Eilat finished ahead of him. And then a man who was fifth place in F2. In, sorry, yeah, fifth place in F2 in Nikita Mazepin. Who didn't spin? Mazepin has spun in every Grand Prix until this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also his debut saw him make it all of three corners. Yeah. Uh, Mick completely annihilated a car under the safety car in Imola and then completely killed his car to the point of not being able to qualify in third practice here in Monaco. We've seen Sonoda crash out of qualifying in one race this year and have a couple of other in that. It's almost as if, yeah, Formula One is really quite hard. Somewhat difficult. Um, yeah. And it can take a few years to truly find your spot in the field. And speaking of taking a few years to, I'm retiring once I finish making this point. Oh my God. Um, speaking of taking a few years to finally find your footing in Formula One, uh, Jashan, I believe you're of the opinion, and I tend to agree, that Antonio Giovinazzi quietly going about having a very, very good season this year. Segway of the year so far, mate. Segway of the year. Very impressive stuff. You're coming along leaps and bounds. No, um, I learned a lot of things over the course of this Monaco weekend. I learned that Max Verstappen is dating the mother of Danny Fiat's daughter. And I also learned that Antonio... Oh, I knew that. Yeah, it's mad. (laughs) Danny and Max, they're uh, mm, just intricately linked. And I learned that Antonio Giovinazzi, or Nazi, I don't know what the correct pronunciation is. His favourite animal is the bumblebee. All right? Quote here... (laughs) It's an elegant and beautiful being. Small but terribly dangerous. It shows that appearances can deceive. What looks innocuous packs a big sting. It's also a very strong animal which works in teams. I was really, really on board with that man up until that point. (laughs) But Gio, 
like last season, I was full on bagging him out. Like, okay, let's bring in someone new here. He's clearly not good enough. Let's get a fresh start now for Mayo. But this year, he's what? Actually, even towards the end of last season as well. He was putting together a lot of really impressive performances, especially in qualifying. He, on average, qualified 0.05 seconds quicker than Kimi in qualifying well, all of last season. This season, he's 0.3 seconds quicker than Kimi in qualifying on average, which is a fair gap on a world champion. Yeah. He Alpha, Alpha have finished 11th or 12th four times in the first four races, so now that they actually get points, you've you got to say it's deserved. Yep. They've been showing good pace. And the fact that it's Gio, is, it's nice to see, you know? Well, see, I made, I made that bold prediction preseason that Giovinazzi was going to, what was what did I end up with, like 80 plus 80 positions on the opening lap. Mm. I don't know what he is so far this season, but I can't imagine it's more than three or four. It's never felt like he's done anything. But the thing is, what I've, and now that you've really raised the point, and I thought about it, it's because he's, tra- he's, traded, he's traded that in for just yep. actually good qualifying. Yeah. Like, you're not going to gain four spots off the grid when you're starting 12th, but you will if you start 19th. Yes. And then just leap, you know, the Williams that gets a shit start and whoever. Yeah. But he's got himself, like, he's consistently starting, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th. He's already mixed up there. He's where the car mm-hmm. should be. So, yeah, he doesn't, he's not going to bundle past a heap of top drivers off the line. But then, yeah, no, he's mixing up to be a chance for points every week. His, his overtake on Ocon, well, overtake, lap one move around Ocon was very nice as well. And what I really like to see is, according to, what's the bloke's name who runs Sauber? Vasseur? Frederick Vasseur, yes. Yeah. Uh, Gio has been stepping up off track as well, really stepping out of his shell, speaking out more and showing leadership qualities, um, which is awesome to see for this Gio. Is a, this is a man. He was... You know, he was the man. really highly touted Ferrari yeah. junior. Yeah, well, he's been in the system for years and just never made that next step. But what I want to, the point I want to make is Kimi will surely be gone soon. Like, in theory, he should be retiring shortly. Is Gio the right man to lead this team into the future? I mean, if you'd asked me that a season ago, I would have guessed probably not. But asking it to me now, yeah, you know what? He may well be. Mm. You can see him bringing through an Eilat or a Schwartzman. Or actually not Schwartzman, fuck Schwartzman. Schwartzman's off to a very rough start. We'll get to that. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, no, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, it looks as though, you know, the way Gio's going, you'd think there's at most one Ferrari Academy seat up. I mean, yeah, probably that. I'd be very surprised if Mazepin's off the grid mm. next season because of how much money's behind him. So there's likely one spot in that. Um, which actually is going to make that fascinating with the way that Schwartzman's not off to the most tremendous of starts, so we obviously know his talent. Armstrong has had horrible luck this year as well. Mm-hmm. Ilot, not in a main pipeline series, but we do, in theory, all know how good Ilot is. And Teo Porcher is actually the Sauber junior, but he's already said um, himself that he feels he's probably more than... you know. I mean, if he wins yeah. the title this year and he can't do F2 again, you never know, but I would be very surprised if Teo Porcher at 18 years old 18 walks year into old, Formula yeah, 1, but you never bad. know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, it's, uh, very, yeah, it's <coughs> impressive what Gio is producing in this year three in Formula One, I believe. Uh, yeah, 2019, 2020, 2021. Yeah, third year for Giovinazzi. Ah, oh, uh, Spencer, as our resident Antonio Giovinazzi lookalike, do you have any... Anything to weigh in well, I mean, on the I conversation? Think it, it should be noted how well um, the Ferrari power unit is looking. 
always brings her back to Ferrari. <laughs> he's fair enough, though. No, I know he's right. I've, I've gone a good 18 months being on Ferrari's payroll without you fuckers noticing. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, yeah, and it's, it's good to see as well because, like, one thing that I always noticed that I thought was really good is that him and Kimmy have always seemed to have a really good relationship, and Kimmy genuinely seems to, yes. to like him. And Kimmy seems to be the guy that doesn't really like too many things, which is which is good. And I think for Giovinazzi, the like it was just a, a, unfortunate for him that um, around the same time that he was sort of coming up, is he had Charles Leclerc absolutely storming through F two, and then eventually getting that F like the Ferrari seat as well. But um, I. It just depends what what um what Alfa Romeo do moving forward, right? Like if they're going to keep being the like you know a potential de facto Ferrari junior stable, then I wonder where Giovinazzi might end up fitting in. But if they're committed to becoming a mid a mid tier side, a guy like Giovinazzi allows them that opportunity to where if they want to you know grab another veteran. Um, like they have with Raikkonen, I think he can be their continued growing Giovinazzi. But then, if they want to bring a young guy in, it looks like Giovinazzi now can become the, you know, the guy to sort of help steer steer the side around. And I I don't have the stats on me right now, but the amount of times where Giovinazzi's finished eleventh or twelfth in the last couple of seasons by very small margins, I think sort of skews people's opinions of him. And yeah, I, I'd like to see Alpha actually put a little bit of investment into him moving forward and see like how far he can take the team because um, the you never you never see much from him in a race weekend, but most of that is like the reason why is because he just keeps it so clean. Like he just he gets in the car, he gets it in the best spot that he can, and then he just ends up because like how much did we see of him at the Monaco race weekend out, like after qualifying mm, in the race? But he was he was like, he was around. Yeah, not that much, but it's just he was just just doing his thing. Like you know, you they they don't need to show any highlights of a guy just perfectly driving around the track at lap after lap. So um, I like it. He looks like me. So first <laughs> of all, I uh, thank you. Um, but no, like I think he's he's in that perfect mold where you can you can either decide to build around him. Um, or use like you know, or like you know, get another old guy in there to just keep like um, teaching him a couple more tricks. So, yeah, he's he's doing well, and I think Alfa Romeo as a whole are doing much better than what I expected them to do, as well. And like you know, last year it looked like Williams might have been closing that gap between them um, and Alfa Romeo. And I think in the first five weeks, Alfa Romeo have really shown that they're just a, a class above those bottom teams um, and then yeah might be able to sort of start um, fighting yeah. with Alpha Tauri and the, as the season moves on absolutely he has 6 11th or 12th place finishes in 45 Grand Prix starts not bad and Bundamore 13th and 14th he's honestly he just does a lot of finishing that 11 to um, 15 yeah. range he's actually very very ultra consistent he always has that car you know no, no lower than it ever feels like it should be it definitely helps having an engine that works, that's for sure. But I'm thinking back, and I can't think of any major incidents involving GL apart from that one in Spa, I think. Well, he's had consecutive, consecutive... Yeah. Incidents. Which wasn't he even had his issue. He incident in Spa in 2019 as well. So yes, he's had, but... He hates Belgium, but apart from that, he doesn't make too many, too many <laughs> mistakes. Belgium. All my homies um, he was in. Belgium, he but... was caught up in the um, Tuscany one, but that yeah, was obviously was hardly his fault. Tuscany. George's fault. Freaking George. Idiot choker. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he loves Bumblebee, so shout out to Giovinazzi. Oh, yeah. King. And just very quickly, one more draw I want to mention is Sebastian Vettel. Yes, yes. Um, we definitely should make a, a list of... Driver of the day, baby! Yeah, it's I happening! That was, that was fair enough. That was fair enough. Aston I think he Martin are that. back in it. Ring-a-ding-ding-ding! With that, top, with that finish, he uh, leapfrogged Lance Stroll in terms of points. And uh, I gave Aston Martin their highest points finish. So You're right, they are back in it. They're now only 59 points behind Ferrari. Yeah, the boys. But they have moved ahead of both Hafatari and Alpine this weekend. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's good for them. His second top five finish since the start of 2020. Obviously, his podium in Turkey. He had Serena Williams cheering him on. She was actually there as a guest of Aston Martin. So the issue here is Aston Martin spent all their off-season money on bringing in celebrity endorsements. We've had Tom Brady, Daniel Craig, and Serena Williams. How about you spend that money on the fucking car, fellas? Mate, Daniel Craig's been James Bond. I don't think he costs them anything at this point. That's probably a prior contractual yeah, obligation. Yeah, but yes, you make, a, you make a fair point. It's not Brady would have cost a fair penny though. Oh, I imagine. Nah, Tom Brady's the kind of bloke to take a pay cut for the good of the team. So <laughs> Tom Brady's already got an Aston Martin deal. He has oh, done for years. Oh, there you go. Well, the more you know. <laughs> I think they made. I think they made him a um a, <coughs> a limited edition um DB12 or something like that, or a TB12. A few years back. That's 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 nice. I don't think of Tom Brady as a guy who drives a supercar. I, I, I feel like he drives well, he a drives a, like a Ford Fiat. Yeah, a Ford Fiat. A Ford Fiat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a combination of the Ford Focus and the Fiat Odd 500. Title. Tom Brady drives <laughs> a Ford Fiat. Oh, uh, it's time to end this show. Um, anyone else got anything else they feel they need to talk about on this episode? Um, uh, just one more quote from me. Uh, well, from Martin Brundle in particular. When Perez came out P4... He uh, said, at this rate, Christian Horner will be jumping naked but a cape into the water again. No capes. No capes? No capes. I see, no capes. No capes. No capes. Just I'm... naked. No capes. Fair enough. That's the, that's, the, that's the one rule. That is the golden rule, no capes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Spencer, any final thoughts from you? Um, Dan Ricciardo will still win the championship. Yes. Well, with that... That is us done for another week. As always, I've been Matt. I've been joined by Jashan. Watcha. Spencer. Ring a ding 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 ding. And collectively, we are. That's what that's what Vettel did after he got the, the finish on the weekend. Yeah, that yeah, does yeah. sound like something Sam would do. Oh um, yeah, and collectively, we are Rear the Grid. <laughs>